So this is the big flip. We've been in Colossians uh, for a couple of months now, and Colossians 1 and 2 have been these doctrines about Jesus, about what he's done for you and me. That he came and lived the perfect life we couldn't live, he died the death we were supposed to die, and he rose again, conquering sin and death forever. And it's been a lot of this grace. And I love grace. If you don't know that by now, I have grace written right here. If I could have picked names for all of my kids, I would have only picked names that reminded me of grace. My wife wouldn't let me do it because she said it'd be weird if we had a kid named Grace or a kid named Mercy. And then all my church fathers that I love that taught me about grace and mercy, she seems to think that Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon, Tyrona is not an okay name for our day and age. I think it's a beautiful name. And as we're thinking about having another kid, she said, well, what would we name this child if it was a boy. She wants to name him Oliver after a Green Arrow character. And I'm, I'm, I'm not okay with that just because I, I've seen what this guy looks like without his shirt on and it makes me jealous. I'm all for, and I'm going to start a petition that, that you guys can please join my side. I'm thinking that Luther, Calvin, Edward, Spurgeon, Tyrona is the winner. Okay. Now I, I baited you in because my real name that I want is Jedediah. Because it means loved by God, and then I can also say, hey, young Jedi, come over here. Is anyone on my team now? That's what I'm talking about. I knew I'd win that one. My wife's in the nursery today. She has no idea this is going on. This is Colossians. So the big switch is happening, and today we're going to look at what happens when we go from the clouds of these mega, massive doctrines to the concrete. And we never want to lose sight of the fact that our theology is rooted in the heavens. It's rooted in the kingdom of God, but it has practical on the ground where the rubber meets the road implications. And this is where the book makes that switch. Now, it doesn't exclusively do it because Paul wants us to always know that we start with grace first and grace must compel us to go forward. We don't earn grace by doing things. We get grace for free. That's the, the nature of grace. It is a free gift. And then, out of our thankful hearts, we are compelled to do these things. Today is what we are going to put off, and next week is what we put on in Christ. So let's read with me. Pay careful attention to the reading of God's Word. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. May God bless the reading of his word. So here we go. Put to death. Put to death these sins in our life. And if you look at that list, that is a, a pretty big list of sins to put to death. It's estimated that the number of images, marketing images that cross our mind in a day are somewhere in the ballpark of 5,000. And we don't even realize it. We're driving to work, there's billboards everywhere, we're on our phones, we see our friends' ads, and then we see sponsored ads, and then we see all these companies. We watch TV, and if you have cable, you see all the commercials. If you have Hulu, you still see commercials. We're bombarded by advertisements. 
And so many of these advertisements really key in on the, the core of what a lot of the Bible talks about as being sin. It's the whole love of sex, love of money, love of power. And that's what they sell us. And here, Paul's first thing that he's going to dive into, he says, Jesus saved you, Jesus died for you, it's the free gift, come to Christ, there is no guilt, no shame. Now that you have that framework, put to death these earthly things, sexual immorality. The word there is porneia, which obviously is where we get the word pornography from. Now the statistics for that are staggering. And I don't really want to bring them up because I know that there's young ears here. But let's just say that our culture since the swinging 60s has moved away from the, the prude 50s, hide everything, and it's swung on the pendulum to where now most people have very little shame about anything to do with sexuality. It's all over the news. It's all over the billboards. You cannot go somewhere without seeing somebody else's spouse mostly naked. Have you thought about it in those terms before? And I don't know that I had fully, when I was a youth pastor, I was a very legalistic youth pastor, and I would just tell every girl in the youth group, you cannot wear bikinis, God hates bikinis. And, uh, and then literally, we would say this, in the summer camp, they weren't allowed to wear, they had to wear one pieces. And then some summer camps that we took them to were like the Baptist ones, they had to wear one pieces with t-shirts. And then we're literally throwing these girls in a lake that had lake weeds. I mean, you're going to drown these teenage girls, they can't swim with all this clothing on them. But this idea of sexual immorality that Paul says, put it to death. Put these sins to death. This desire that hungers for immorality. How do you kill it, though? That's the question. And what I fear is, is that there are not a lot of people equipped in how to kill sin, and there is not a lot of desire to kill sin. Let me tell you, I hate it. I hate sin. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy when I do it. It drives me crazy when I see it. It drives me crazy when I sin and I see my kids do the same sin. It, it gets under my skin. And when I first would read passages like this as a younger Christian, it's, it just said, put it to death. So here's what I would do. I would say, God, I'm going to kill this sin. And I would make promises. God, I will never do this sin again. I will never, I promise, this is the last time. And if I was very fervent in my promise and my effort, that would last maybe 48 hours before I would blow a gasket and get angry, before I would lust after something. You see, I've lived my whole life in a beach community. And I'm a male, and males have specific hormones. And let me tell you, there, there were a number of years where I was just asking God, God, help me to not lust after people that aren't my wife. I asked one of the godliest men I know, his name was Tom Blinko, an old Irishman, literally looked like a leprechaun, this big, I think his ears were a little pointy, he wore green suits, plaid vests, green suits. And, uh, so he, he bought, brought that on himself, um, and we just pointed it out. One of the godliest men I ever knew, and I remember asking him, he was probably 82-ish at the time, I said, Tom, when, when do you finally conquer and overcome lust and all these like, sexual sins and he leaned in lad i think it happens when you're six feet under in the box <laughs> and, and i said tom do you mean that you still struggle and, and we had this conversation about how his whole life he has struggled 
And he said that sin wages war, but he wages back. And, and he gave me some advice. He said, I used to wage war with my own effort until I realized my effort got beat up every single time. So here's what happens in Christ. Jesus dies. And when he died, everything that you feel guilt, shame about in your life, he took with him to the grave. Every single thing. Whether it's a sin of anger, whether it's a sin of lust, whether it's a sin of pride. Jesus said, I died for all of this, and I'm taking it to the grave. And when we first come to Christ, it is so amazing because you can finally say, I'm free. Jesus paid it all. And we leave it there, and we start walking. And then we realize something very quickly that we're not used to walking without those sins in our life because that's all that we've ever known. Because those roads are the only roads we've gone down. Every time I've gone back to California since I moved here, I, I know which roads go where. Here I get lost. If I take one wrong turn in Fishhawk, I'm stuck in here for three days. I'm drinking out of ponds. I can't, I've killed those birds for food. I just don't know how to get out of here. But in California, I know exactly where I'm going. I know, I know the hills, I know the turns, I know the neighborhoods. I know which neighborhoods to go to and which ones not to go to. But in spiritual life, I think sometimes what we do is we're so accustomed to the way we used to live, we forget that Jesus took all those things to the grave. So, so we say, well, I'm not, I'm not very comfortable with this new lifestyle. I'm just going to go pick up one of these things. I mean, I, I was more angry way back then, so I'll just take a little bit of anger and I'll hide that away. I won't let anyone see it. It's just with my kids, just with my spouse, and I'll hide a little bit of anger. And we start walking. And then we start to feel uncomfortable again because now life isn't as satisfying as we thought it was. So we say, no, I'm just going to go. I used to love watching these, these types of movies and shows. I'm going to keep those. And we'll keep them a little more secret because as Christians, I can't show my Christian friend that I watch this show or that I have this anger. So I'm going to hide these things in my vest. And we start walking. And then we find this weird balance in Christianity where God says, put to death your sins. And we don't put them to death, we just put them out of sight. And I'll, I'll tell you what, it's hard to kill something that's hiding. It's hard for us as a community to come around you and help you and help one another if we hide all of our sin. But you know what's extremely easy to kill? Something that we bring to the surface. Something that we can bring to light. And the only way that I think we can truly do that is if first we've grasped how much we're forgiven in Jesus so that our pride can finally take a step to the side and our fear that we'll be rejected by others can finally be put to the side because we're accepted in Christ, we're loved in Christ, and we can finally just give our close friends a little peekaboo. Here's my sin, peekaboo, and see if they don't judge you. Now, these sins, the, the sin of, of sexual immorality, the porneia as it's called, and the sin that says evil desires, that's the word epithumia, it means an over-desire. So we're this very desirous culture, and we're constantly hungry for the next new thing. Paul says put these to death. So here's how you've got to do it. Here's the practical how-to. Everyone say, belief informs behavior. What you behave like on the outside is always rooted in a belief. Whether you want to believe me or not, I want to show you this. So if I believe that I am the God of Tampa, which I believed this on um, Friday night, I believe that I was the God of Tampa, and I believe that everything should go my way. I believe that if I were doing something, it should go my way because I exist to be worshipped. Now, I would never say that out loud because I'm a pastor, and I'm not supposed to say that out loud. But God showed me that that was my belief because I went out to dinner, and, uh, and we went to this restaurant. It's called Rue. 
and they had a valet area. So I pull in, and I see the sign that says valet parking only. And I look this way in front of me. There's no spots. I didn't see the valet booth. I, that's my, you take my word for that, but it was there apparently. But then I see this spot right in the valet only area. I'm like, well, there's no guys parking cars, so I'm just going to park my car. Whoop! I parked my car. This is where sin nature begins to fester. First, I'm thinking, okay, I'm a little rebellious, but I, I didn't see anybody to park my cars. As I get out of my car, a valet attendant is running toward my car. And this is my new car that I'm very protective of. My wife is, says, I'm so sorry. We didn't see you guys. No joke, the valet guy goes, I saw you read that sign. And he's snarky with me. He doesn't know that I used to be a thug. So now I'm just this skinny jean-wearing pastor guy with grace and mercy. But in my former life, if I had tattoos, it would have been justice and vengeance. So I'm like, you're a 19-year-old kid. You're mouthing off to me, however old he was. I'm saying 19 so that if I punched him in my mind, I wouldn't go to jail. And I'm with people, some people from the chapel. And I'm already skyrocketing. My, my blood pressure's going up. And I said, hey, I didn't see you. Oh, I saw you read that. You stopped, read the sign, and parked. You took my last spot. He's mouthing off. And, and he kind of sniped at me. And I probably overdid this internally. For whatever reason, by the time I sat down in that restaurant, my heart was racing. And my wife knew. Like, she put her hand over on my leg because she was just saying in her head, please don't go outside and kill him. She knew how I was fuming. And I could feel when I get angry, my eyes burn. I had the eye burn. I had the anger. I kept looking outside. If I see this punk, if he touches my car, I'm going to wreck his life. In Jesus' name. So here, here's where belief informed my behavior. Functionally, I would have never said, I'm believing that, that I do what I want, that, that I should have people just serve around me. But that's how I was behaving. My behavior of anger was revealing that I wasn't believing that God was the glorious great one. I was believing Ryan Tyrona is the glorious great one. My behavior displayed my wrong belief. And we can do this in a hundred different areas. And this is how, by the way, you kill sin. This is how you put it to death. You see your behavior and you don't just say, here's the behavior I don't like. I must stop doing this. This is bad. Stop doing this. You see your behavior and you say, what am I believing about God or what am I not believing about God that's causing me to do this? What am I believing about God or not believing that's causing me to be angry, that's causing me to lust? I'm believing that, that this experience, whether it's a, a sexual sin, whether it's an anger sin, that this thing will give me the pleasure or the power that I desire for my life, rather than acknowledging that the greatest pleasures are had when our lives are synced up with God. The greatest pleasures that we can have are when our lives are synced up with God, where he begins to remove and peel away sin from our lives so that we can actually have what the Bible calls peace, shalom, Something that we can live with where you can wake up and not already have things crawling under your skin. Where you can wake up and not already be mad at somebody in the world. Where you can wake up and say, God, all is good because I have you and you're all that I need. You are the good and glorious one. I'm not the glorious one. You're the glorious one. And we can begin to change our beliefs. We can begin to say every time we go back to pick up our sin, that you're going back to the graveyard of your sins and you're you're thinking that that dead thing will give you life. I, I love meat, bacon, steak, fish, all kinds of meat. I'm not a meat discriminator. I'm a meat consumer. 
Uh, I'm a carnivore. My wife is a carbivore. So we make a good couple because she eats all the bread and I just eat meat. Bread is different. When bread goes bad, you don't really smell it unless it's gone way bad. But when you take a bite of bad bread, you may as well just bite a beach rock. It's bad. It's hard. It's crunchy. You can't chew it. Meat, however, God implanted a beautiful warning system, and it's called foul stench. And there have been times in my life, in my pre-married life, where I would do the bachelor sniff test. Because when you're a bachelor, it, you, you make money, you get paid, let's say, every two weeks. So you get paid on a, a Friday, so that Saturday and Sunday, you've got like your filet, your pork chops, you've got five pounds of bacon, and then literally the three days before your next paycheck, you're eating a quarter of a brick of ramen, some cabbage water, you're just so starving because you don't know how to manage your money at that age. But, but me and my roommates, we would have so much of this meat in our fridge, and we had the foreman grill, so there'd be uh, grease all over the place because my roommates were nasty. But we would do this thing where we'd open the fridge, hungry, paycheck has been so long ago, and we would just start smelling the meat. Nope. Nope. Maybe. You microwave that bad boy for 10 minutes just to make sure that if you are going to get something, it's really going to kill you and not just maim you. And we know, we know what, what that is like. We've all smelled bad food. We've all smelled dead food. We've all smelled eggs that have gone bad or meat that's gone bad or something that's gone bad. And I, I wish that we could have a, a spiritual nose because it's the exact same way when we go back to our sins. When, when Jesus buried them in the grave, we're going back and we're thinking that our dead sins are going to nourish our joy and peace and happiness. And every time I see somebody sin, this image in my mind that they're, they're going back to a grave and they're pulling out something that was dead and it's rotting and filled with maggots, but they think it will give them joy and we all feast on it. Paul says, put that nasty thing back. Put it to death. I crucified it, leave it there. Change your beliefs. Know that this thing is not going to give you the life that you want. In Jeremiah, it has that passage that I love about the Jewish people saying, God says, you've committed two great evils. You've forsaken the living water, and you've dug out cisterns or, or pools that hold no water. And too often we settle for that in Christianity. Because here's the living water. Come and drink of forgiveness and grace and freedom, and it's flowing. Instead, we say, I don't want a cup of that refreshing water. I'd rather just go try to lick this dusty bowl and maybe quench my thirst. Every day in California that I was there this last trip, I lost my voice around 10 o'clock at night. I didn't realize that I had acclimated to Florida, and California knew it. California sensed when I got off the plane. It sensed that somebody was carrying moisture from Florida, because California's been in a drought for my whole life. So California said, hello, Ryan Tyrona. All that Florida moisture in your throat and your lips and your eyeballs, it's mine. And I went around, I was burning through chapsticks, I was eye dropping, I was drinking as much water as possible. I could not get enough. California was robbing me of moisture. In the same way, though, I think too many of us are settling for the spiritual version of that. 
We keep going back to our sins, thinking that they're going to answer the questions of our heart. And we know that they never do, which is why we keep on doing the same sins over and over. And what happens is we feel guilty, we feel ashamed, so we come to church. I tell you you're forgiven. You feel good for a day, and then you go back to it. Here's what I want you to take home today. I want you to know that your sin, God hates. I hope you hate it too. The way to get rid of your sin is not to say, ew. It's to say, what am I, what am I doing at this death pool? What am I doing at this place? This is all dead to me. What, what am I doing here again, feasting from the same meal that I know will never satisfy? And I just want to, we're going to jam through a bunch of these sins in a bullet point fashion now. So put to death your sexual sin. Put to death your over-desires when you want to make a good thing an ultimate thing. Put to death your covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God's wrath is pouring out against these sins. But now, he goes to the next level. I want you to put all of these away. Anger. Anger. Put anger away. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Pastor Ryan, I know in the Bible it says that there is a righteous anger. Has anyone ever said that or used that or heard that before? The righteous anger? I've heard it before. And what I always tell people is, yes, there is a righteous anger, and I doubt you've ever used it. You've just been flat out angry. The only person I'm going to give credit to is Jesus' righteous anger. When he went into the table, into the temple, flipped tables, whipped people, that was the only time that I'm willing to say on earth that anger was righteous. Because our anger is woven into our sin. And the Bible's telling us right here, if you're an angry person, that means you're going back and you're believing something wrong about who you are and who God is. You're believing that maybe you should be in control and everyone should be subservient to you. But that's not your job description, that's God's. That's not your job description with your spouse or your children. That's God's. And, and I know this reality. I know the truth of this because it is so hard for me. Anger works. When you're six and a half feet tall, anger can put a lot of people into a line that you like. My kids, Tweedledee, Tweedledoo, Tweedlediddle, if I get angry enough, they listen every time. We've talked about this here. I've got my bat dad voice. It's all go mode, they listen to me. Because anger will put fear into them. So I, so I use my sin to instill in them fear, which is rooted in sin. So then all we have walking around my house are angry, fearful people when I get angry. I don't think that God the Father is up in heaven being like, yeah, <laughs> no. I don't think that's God, how God parents us. God doesn't come down and say, you know what? I'm just going to get rip-roaringly angry at all my kids. I know how, that's how a lot of you feel because I've seen the flat tires and you lose a job, something goes wrong, your car breaks down, and I've heard people say, well, God must be punishing me for something. You think that's how God punishes people? This is the creator of heaven and hell. You think a flat tire is, is his best move? Well, I'm so mad at my kid. You know what? Pop! <laughs> You seriously think that's it? Or you think it's going to be lightning? People tell me, oh, pastor, I can't come to your church. God's going to blow it up with lightning. Do you want your church to catch on fire? I tell them all the time, God's got such good aim, I'm not worried. You come on in. If he's going to use lightning, he'll take just you out. If he's going to catch you on fire, he'll leave my chapel standing. He could do this. He's God. But what happens is, with this anger thing, it's, it's so antithetical to who God is. 
It's so against who God is for his, and wants us to be as his people that I think it just brings constant division and grief, which is why that list springboards. It goes, do not be angry. Put away anger. Put away wrath. Put away malice. Here's a good church one. Put away slander. Oh, put away slander? So you've got put away sexual immorality. Put away these evil desires. Put away all of these what we call megatype sins, and then he goes down the list. And anger, because when you do sexual immorality, we all make an excuse. Well, I'm not as bad as Frank or Bob or Bill or, or Judy or Betty. So we all find someone that's a worse scoundrel than we are. But when you start getting to anger, you're, well, I've been angry. We go malice. Oh, maybe malice. I mean, that's an old term. I don't know if I've had malice in my heart. Trust me, if you've been married, you've had malice in your heart. And then you go to slander. Now, here's, here's what we do in Christian churches. It drives me nuts because I do it too. We talk bad about people, not to them, but about them. And then we say, if someone brings up, was well, this gossip, is this, is this slander? We say, no, it's not because it's true. Let me tell you something. You can be truthful and be totally slanderously sinning somebody. Because the Bible takes it to the next level in Ephesians 4. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. Slander is a tearing down. God wants a building up. And it's so easy to fall into it. I fall into it so quick, so often, where it's one conversation turn away. If I see the wrong person, if I hear the wrong phrase, it's just go time for slander. I sent out this survey a week ago, and I appreciate it. Thank you for all of you who filled out the, on, the anonymous survey. I sent out an anonymous survey. If you didn't get it, it's on our email list and our Facebook page. just had five questions. What do you love about the chapel? What do you find frustrating about the chapel? And then a couple other ones, but I really just wanted the juicy ones. By the way, it wasn't anonymous. That's my joke on you. I'm just kidding. It was totally anonymous. <laughs> it was totally anonymous. But, but here was my heart as I'm reading these. The good ones, of course, I like because it's feeding my sinful pride. Oh, yes, me, 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 me. It's all about me, Jesus. And then the bad ones, though. Whew. It was like a dart to the gut. But I've been in ministry for 16 years, so I've been shot by the best of them. So I was reading all these comments. I thought, oh, that's not so bad. That's not so bad, this, this comment here about the worship or this comment about the preaching. But then what happens is a day later, after that has percolated in my brain, I'm waking up at night. <laughs> Who wrote that? God, would you reveal to me supernaturally who wrote this comment so I can rebuke them in Jesus' name? And no. Okay. So I send it to the council because I want the council to get the feedback. So much of my heart's like, hey, who do you think wrote this? You just give me a little hint. You know some of these people. No, God kept saying no. I feel like he just blinded me to it, which was good because I just needed to hear the the anonymous survey responses. But slander is quick to my tongue. I'll bet you this person did it. And it, unless you think that slander has to be between two people, no, I think it could be between you, yourself, and your other self. When you start talking bad about somebody inside your head, and this can happen in an instant. This can happen when dishes are loaded the wrong way. Because I know the correct way to load a dishwasher. No one else in my family does. Amen? And, uh, and I slander in a second. I think, she's not my baby girl, beautiful wife, when the dishes are loaded wrong. 
in my head, you never repeat this to her. She doesn't listen to the podcast. I see the dishwasher and I say, that woman. And then I got to go shuffle them. It can start as easy as seeing someone that you just don't like at work. And it starts to slander in your head, but here's what you don't see behind the scenes. God is a God about building up love, building up forgiveness, building up peace, building up reconciliation. And slander, anger, malice, rage, sexual sin, all of these things are tearing down. They're tearing things down, tearing down, tearing down. And slander is at the bottom of it all, just eating up all of our words and thoughts and intentions that want to break relationships and dissolve them. I don't care if the rest of the world slanders. This place must be a slander-free zone because slander brings disunity and division. Building up others with encouraging words brings unity. I've had conversations at this chapel and at the last church I was at where people were struggling with sins and they thought that I was going to take some sins more seriously than others, and I do, but not the ones that they ever think. People think that because I'm an evangelical pastor that I've got to be cracking down on all the sexual sins, all the stuff in the, the hot-button cultural issues. Pastor, what's your view on homosexuality? What's your view on Target and the transgender bathrooms? What's your view on this? I'll say, I'll tell you what my view is. Stop slandering each other. Put it to death. Because you're taking all that God does, you're taking all of the freedom, all of the forgiveness, and you're just tearing it down. You're tearing it down because you want to make people feel worse about themselves, or you want to make them look worse in your own eyes so you can feel better. Do you see the the belief that's behind here is that I'm going to earn feeling better about myself by tearing someone else down. That's the belief that produces the behavior. Instead of going all the way to the source, Jesus died and he has built me up to the heavens. I no longer have to tear others down to feel better about myself because myself is covered in Jesus. Myself is clothed in his goodness. So now when someone slanders me, I don't have to slander them back. When that valet guy was mouthing off to me, we all sat at the table, and my wife says, well, you know, God always does this to you. Whatever you're going to preach on, he tests you. And as par for the course, Pastor Ryan fails 99% of the time. Oh, you're preaching on malice and anger? <laughs> I don't think he does it with that smile. I think God wants me to do what he's had me do since the beginning of my ministry, is to take this image that so many people have, especially in the southern states, that there's these super pastors, and that we are so holy, and we're so close to God, Now, for sure, fam, I'm way closer to God than anyone in here. (laughs) Super prideful about it, too. But, But from the very beginning, from the very beginning, God said, Ryan, you're doing a couple things. You're bridging the church from the way it was to the way that it will be. That's, that's the call that I keep hearing in my life from God. From just the attractional sit in chair, stare forward model to the we're moving people to live for God outside of the walls. That's, that's part of it. And the other part is, I chose you, messed up Pastor Ryan Tarona, because you are a jacked up human being that I saved. You're not a perfect human being that crawled his way up. So he gives me the strength and the grace, I think, to be able to say, this is my sin. I want you to have a window view because if I can do this from here and have 150 people go slander about me out there, then you could do it with your close friends. That's the joy. 
Because no matter who we are, no matter which pastor, no matter how big the church, whether it's Billy Graham or it's the pastor of a five-person house church in the middle of nowhere, we are all in desperate need of Jesus. Jesus loves us so much that he would take all of our sin to the grave, and then he says, now stop coming back to this deadness. Go forward to life. That's next week. It's a two-part sermon. What do you put on? Because this is all the stuff you put off. You put off the slander. You put off the anger. You put off the sexual immorality because those things tear down. But just as with everything in life, it creates a vacuum. It creates a vacuum. And if you don't fill it up with something good and holy and just and God-centered, your life will naturally suck back in the poison. If you say, I'm going to stop lusting, but you don't stop what you were doing to get to those lusting moments, it'll fill back up with lust. If you say, I'm going to stop being angry, and you just tell yourself on the ride home, I will stop being angry today. I'm not going to get angry at my kids, my, my spouse, my coworker, never again. But if you don't replace that with something else, there's a vacuum there. And guess what that, that vacuum looks like? It's already an anger-shaped hole. So anger is going to find a real quick home back in there as soon as you're ready. But if you fill it up with something else, then God can begin to transform you fill it up with true beliefs about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and why he has given you a power better than anger, better than slander, better than gossip. So then finally you can begin to slowly turn the corner and say, okay, I used to believe that I needed to control people, but now I know God's in control. I used to believe that I was the ultimate judge of right and wrong, but now I know that God is. I used to believe that I could save myself by just working hard, trying better, white-knuckling it down, but now I realize I can't save myself, but that Jesus loved me so much and saved me. You start filling up these caverns of sin that God has ripped out of your life with all of these good things. And that's next week, not this week. And as you do that, your life will slowly turn corners. Because if that valet guy had mouthed off to me, e even as a Christian 10 years ago, we would have had different words to share. What I love, though, is that my sin kind of evoked the group's collective anger. Because one of them said, I'll come out with you. We'll go out. We're going to handle this. That person is much smaller than me and a female. So my pride, I don't need you. And they tell me, no, I was a I was bully. I was a bully back when I grew up. Like, You're a bully? You're a 65-pound bully? It was good. But I liked that they had my back. But let me tell you, it, it's one of these things where First you put your sin to death, and then you grab it every once in a while. And then after you put your sin to death and grab it every once in a while, then you grab it less often. But then here's how sin works. Then there's some weird thing in our culture where we still like to talk about our sin. I still do it. Where, where we just want to remind people, which I still do all the time, that I used to be this way. And it's good for a healthy, like I used to be this way, look where God's brought me. But I think sometimes too often we remind people because we want to just let people know that we still have something in us. There's still something in the tank that could smack somebody around. And I think as we grow in Christ, we'll finally get to the place where we truly see sin as a rotting corpse and say, I don't even want to look at those as the glory days. It doesn't matter how much I could drink. It doesn't matter how many times I was with somebody in an inappropriate relationship. It doesn't matter how my anger made me the baddest mamma-jamma on the campus. None of that matters. By the way, it wasn't me. I was talking about someone out there. What matters is Christ died so that I don't have to be that person anymore. So this week, as you're reading through this list again, 
Just ask yourself, God, help me to see you as God and not me as God. Help me to put these things to death and put them away so that next week when we come to the putting on, because are, these are the things we put off, next week is what we put on, I want our hearts to be primed. I want our caverns of sin to be emptied out so that when we talk about putting things on, we can sponge in all that God has for us, the power and the peace and the grace and the mercy, because it's then that we will finally see how to not be angry for the long haul, to not be prone to slander, to not be prone to lust, to not be prone to over-desires and evil desires of things that will not satisfy. Because at the end of this list, Paul says, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, by bar barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And I know that sounds like one of those verses where if you, you're not a Bible nerd, you kind of just toss that one away. Like, what are these barbarian Scythians? Of course not. What, what Jesus is saying here is God's control over sin, he, he's not powerless against some sin. and he, He's over all, and he saves all. God will save Fish hawkers, just as much as he saves River Hill people, just as much as he saves people in Riverview, just as much as he saves people in downtown Tampa, just as much as he saves people in the far reaches of Africa where we hear these amazing stories, just as much as he saved the people in India when I sat down and I shared the gospel with people who had never heard Jesus' name and they came to Jesus. I loved that. That same God is the one who works here today, now, to bring people to salvation and not only to save them from their sin penalty, but to save them from the power of sin in their present day life. So here, here's what we need to do today. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I need to just give some of you an opportunity to say, I've put my old self to death, and I want to follow Jesus. I think some of you haven't. Some of you have been watching. So I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then we're going to kind of do, we're going to send around the offering. I'm going to have the band come up and just sing my favorite worship song of all time, and we're going to sing it again. And as we're singing, as the plates are passing by, if you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, I, need, I just need you to come and, and talk to me. Come and talk to somebody. Maybe you came with a friend who's been walking with Christ. Grab them and say, I've not been following. I, I want to follow. I want to be freed from these things that have been plaguing me. So as I pray, the worship team will come back up, and, uh, and let's, let's send this to Jesus.